So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day. Hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. This week we are talking about documentaries. The first podcast uh, where we have really discussed documentaries at length. Indeed. I would like to call the show Doc Talk, in fact. Doc Talk. I like because it. Because we are doctors taking a deep, in-depth uh, checkup on some of the most recent uh, accoladed documentaries that we've avoided. Surgical analysis is coming up. Ooh-wee. So we're going to start out with uh, Hedy Lamarr. Mm-hmm. Segue into Lady Gaga, Five Foot Two which will um, build into our discussion of McQueen. Mm -hmm. And we'll wrap it up with... Ketty, as well as Minding the Gap. And for our first impressions today, we're going to be drinking a little bit of a collaboration brute from Red Hook and Hellbent. Uh, and we're going to be watching two new trailers. What are those trailers? Two documentaries. We will be watching the trailer for Pauline Kale, as well as... John McEnroe. These uh, are not the full titles, but when we uh, oh. open up the browser and, and look at the trailer, we'll say them. So Got it. Uh, let's taste this brew. Cheers. How is it, Jen? Tell us. It's beautiful. Once it hits your lips, it's so good. What kind of beer? Mm. Mm hmm. This is by far the most distinctive of the beers I think we've had so far. A, a broad palate. Mm hmm. A bit more bubbly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but crisp. I like it. Savory, sweet, almost mm. got a cider taste to it, but there's there's hops that are bubbling to the surface. Absolutely. This is a good change of pace. It's an IPA, but I think it is a brut IPA. Yes. Which I don't know what that means, but it has something in common with wine, right? Well, I've always called it brut just because it's the German spelling mm. pronunciation. That's probably I'm, correct. I'm fairly certain. But um, yeah, I, I could see how this goes through some sort of a wine process. We, we should yeah. probably do a collaboration podcast episode with someone who actually creates beer so that we can figure some of these smaller probably. details out instead of seeming like amateurs. <laughs> he can correct all of my vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and pull up the first trailer. Let's do it. It was a wonderful uh, old vaudeville comic who said uh, it takes uh, 30 years to become an artist and 30 seconds to become a critic. It's hard to talk seriously about movies without mentioning Pauline Kael, one of the nation's most thoughtful and provocative critics of the movies. All right, we just watched the trailer for What She Said, a documentary about Pauline Kael. And it's just a kind of a one-minute snippet of her uh, digging and dogging into film criticism and film critics, but also exemplifying um, the traits of the ones that she thinks are valuable. Yeah, looks like she's on a late-night show or something like that, perhaps. Um, not only have I not seen this trailer before, I hadn't even heard of this documentary until like an hour ago, um, but... I'm super interested in it. Yes. Um, so the only other documentary that... I've seen about a film critic or film criticism is uh, Life Itself the with Roger uh, Ebert Robert, one. Roger Ebert, yeah. yeah. I watched, I rewatched that about a month ago, uh, yeah. or perhaps early July, so maybe 
maybe two months and it really revitalized my love of criticism and what that mm, can do yeah. for uh, artists that are working mm. in this field and how they can be driven to greater lengths and, and have greater appreciation and nuance for their craft. And I, I think that Polly and Kale will uh, evoke that in a way that even Ebert didn't because Ebert's kind mm. of someone that's always, you know, part of been part of culture since we've been alive. Yep. So a lot of things that we've rented when we were children, had Roger and Ebert two thumbs up on them. Oh, yeah. And we, when we would pick something, we wouldn't know why that was important, but we knew that that was a resounding reason to uh, have th- a reason to do it. I particularly remember it on the cover of Princess Mononoke. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Pauline Kale is not a critic like whose work that I've read a lot of. Um, I think I've probably read more of Roger and Ebert, for sure. Um but a critic, I honestly haven't you know. read much of either. I've always yeah. wanted to. I just uh, I never got around to buying that Roger Ebert book. And oh, yeah. I, I've listened to Pauline Kael a little bit more because um, she's got a resounding um, cultural icon in Camille Paglia who kind of exemplifies mm. her. Yeah, biting wit on mm-hmm. display right out of the gates in the trailer saying that 85% of the people in any given field are not that good at what they do. Um, Particularly her. Yeah. Um, one of the few things I knew about her was that she was a uh, big champion of De Palma. Mm-hmm. Um, so since we just recently were talking about him, um, I'd be curious to see if they get into that at all. Um, I'd also read that like she was one who some people thought maybe got too close to some of her subjects. Um, yes. And that was, you know, potentially risking, um, you know, her, uh, her legitimacy or bias. Um, yes. But... Um, Similar to uh, Adam Kempinar and Ethan Hawke. Mm. Ooh. Who can blame him? I <laughs> or would... uh, even him and Patricia Clarkson at this point. They're the best of friends. <laughs> I would be willing to risk our legitimacy if we could have Ethan Hawke on the show. <laughs> I, I will compromise any integrity I've ever had to have Ethan Hawke on the show. Ethan, come on board we whenever you're ready. Here. We're waiting. You just give us a call. I'll tell you why Juliet Naked was so great. <laughs> So yeah, I'm super excited, you know, as a movie lover, as uh, a lover of criticism, this is Katniss. And as a lover us, of right? form, right? Absolutely. I think it looks promising. Um, well, we're going to move on to our first impression of John McEnroe in the realm of perfection. Uh, let's do a little cheers and get the Oscilloscope Laboratories production going. Cheers. It'd be easier if people realize that it's, it's, it's me making a statement like, oh, you do your job and I'll do mine, rather than me just complaining for the hell of it. All right. We just uh, had our first impression of uh, this new documentary featuring Mick and Ray. Um What do you think? I thought this was a great trailer. It is. Um, a lot of documentary trailers, I feel like, have the exact same kind of vibe. Usually, you're getting exactly what it's going to contain, whether it's, you know, archival footage, interviews, that kind of thing, right off the bat, because the trailer is sort of reflecting whatever those segments are. Mm -hmm. This was purely archival footage. Um, I'm not quite sure, like, what this is actually going to look like. Um, Is it a documentary? Like, in its uh, uh, construction. Yes. Um, I'm very intrigued. This was really just more of of a... uh, an indication of the mood that they're kind of going for. Um, I, I think that because McEnroe's story is kind of um, restricted and you can only really show this arc in one way, 
that, that I already have a feel for how that arc is going to look. And that's um, basically someone full of promise blows their promise. Mm. You know, it's the classic story of a failed athlete. Um, whether you want to go Tim Tebow or, you know, any first round pick that didn't work out, Jamarcus Webb, etc. Um, you're nodding at me like, yeah, I understand these things. Oh, I, I don't <laughs> doubt that you are accurately name dropping. All right. All right. I don't mean to, to spit such fire. No, no, no. You're good. Um, so, but what, while I was watching, what I realized was how perfectly the directors and the casting director of uh, Borg vs. McEnroe, the feature-length film, chose mm. Shia LaBeouf to portray this um, character mm. because he is so volatile and you can feel a certain electricity under the surface. And, like, every single moment is important, even... Um, moments that he purposely it seems throws and makes mm-hmm. himself a victim yeah uh i haven't seen the the feature film borg versus McEnroe, but boy it sure does look like physicality wise labeouf was the right choice yes facial um, wise as well They're, they they yeah. have similar hair and, and kind of a facial construction yeah um you know with documentaries i tend to sort of just seek out the ones whose uh, subjects interest me the most. Like, it's, for all my interest in form, I kind of think about actually content first when it comes to documentaries. So, as a documentary about tennis and a tennis star that I don't know much about, I don't know that I otherwise would have um, got this on my radar. But I'm intrigued. Good, good. Um, That's why we do this, right? That's right. Um, This is an episode that we're not going to be releasing for a while. This is kind of Mm. a fill episode. We're pre-recording without any planned uh, release structure. So um, hopefully we'll get this out um, when we are both taking a nice, uh, much-earned vacation. And also right before either of these films come out. Um, Yeah. But just so the the audience knows why. Time horizon-wise, maybe looking a little bit further out on the Polly and Kale one, since it sounds like distributions may be still to yeah, be determined. It's, it's going through its second festival run um, at the moment, and there is no available pre-order um, on mm. the website that I was able to find. Um, and I, I couldn't um, locate any sort of a um, release calendar. Mm. <clears throat> Whereas um, this John McEnroe one is currently in circulation at three uh, kind of landmark theaters, it seems, mm. in the uh, California, L.A., Hollywood area. It's doing the rounds. So it'll make its way to us. Yes. Cool. And Oscilloscope's pretty good about getting that on digital distribution, so that should be easy for yeah. everyone to find moving forward. Um, all right. Well, I guess we're done here. Should we jump to our Hedy Lamar? Do you by chance remember its full title? I don't think I do. I think it's Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story. I think that you're closer than I could be, but I'll go ahead and look up our letterboxed log and see, uh, see exactly what it is called. Just for the sake of precision. Let's, exactly. Let's at least start by getting the name of the movie correct. Let us Since be Since everything accurate. else I say will be wrong. Boom. Bombshell colon the Hedy Lamar story. You were That's pretty close. For me. You forgot the colon. I'm gonna retire at the top. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> she did have a secret. Wi-Fi, Bluetooth. That's her technology. You think how could this be possible? If I wanted to be harsh, I would say she was a plagiarizer. You don't get to be Hedy Lamar and smart. Now, I know what I did. There comes a point when you can't take any more than you have to make yourself heard. I was uh, I was mildly positive on this one. Um, what what was your uh, re- ranking of it? 
I gave it a three. Gave three a out three. of five. Gotcha. Uh, I don't think I gave it the heart, if I recall correctly. But um, still um, leaning more towards a positive uh, feel than I think a negative feel. Um, how about you? Just a baseline? Two and a half. Two and a half. A little they lower. They made a film. Neutral. Neutral. Right down the middle. Right down the middle. Um, yeah. it, it makes some ov- overtures um, and claims that it has in common with like three identical strangers mm. where it, it seems to reach beyond its scope of mm. uh, understanding. And I would rather it just focused on her emotional feeling for um, what was the name of the film that she did in Europe? Ecstasy. Ecstasy. I, w- I would rather have it focus on ecstasy and the fallout of her um, choice to do that film and whether or not she really chose to do that and actually dig in there. Um, focus on her fleeing Nazi Germany ahead yep. of her time. Focus on um, her inventions earlier on. They kind of begin it so that she's a victim. Then they build things as if she's more than she appears to be. Then they say that she's a victim again when she's choosing to have all these plastic surgeries. Um, and then at the end, it, it kind of, you know, capitalizes in the the classic. We use everything that she invented without really um, digging into that. And I would rather have it be an entire documentary focused on um, proving the claim that her invention affects every single patent that's making over a billion dollars today. It's an mm. electronic patent that's about wireless connection. Yeah. Or on her emotional devastation at mm. the um, the the Nazi German um, rise and the um, fallout of her choice to do ecstasy and her um, the reasons why she ran through men so often. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so one thing that I think I've maybe picked up on in how uh, we differ in our appreciation of documentaries is you you prefer a more um essay-like format where you kind of want your thesis up front and you want your evidence to follow it um Um, to me this was a a more when we get to mcqueen just just to fight against you yeah when we get to mcqueen i don't think it has a thesis Mm -hmm. and i still liked it same for lady gaga yeah so i don't know that i need a theme but i think that in a film or a documentary film that makes a thematic claim at the end, hmm. then I get angry because they weren't upfront about wanting to make a thematic claim. So I think you are picking up hmm. on something I just kind of twisted a little bit. And, and that if they do make a claim, I don't think it's excusable. Yeah, that's interesting. But to me, I mean, I think it it, 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 it hits me differently when this is partly just a life's... When, when a documentary is a life story, there's something to just being chronological. And therefore, the point that is ultimately being made involves something that happens in later life and therefore you kind of have to start with the background in order to sort of fill out sort of the color of this person's life i agree Um, and and that's why i think that this particularly would be like a great two-part documentary mm. where they build up um her suffering her anguish the reason why she uh was on all these pills and how that affected her um and and how beautiful a mind she had Mm. uh and then spend another you know 80 minutes or 75 minutes on the patent yeah and show me in factories show me um diagrams Mm. show me working versions of technology show me experts in the field explaining to me these claims that you're making about her invention Mm. being worth trillions essentially 
Yeah, we looked for different things. I don't know that I needed that. Anytime it started getting into the diagrams, I was, I think I was less interested in it. I was too, but that's, I think, because they had a strong emotional documentary. Mm -hmm. And I think that they could have built that into um, a, a final claim about her being a tortured genius. And then they could have mm. had a second part mm. that was, you know, more about that bombshell title. Yeah. I mean, to me, in a way, the thesis is known up front if you just read the description of the documentary, right? I mean, to me, I uh, we know what we're getting into, right? I didn't read right? the description to any no. of these documentaries. I'm just diving into I don't into like them. to do that. I like to go in blind. That's fair. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think I was more sympathetic to her story. Um I mean, I guess on one hand, just in general, like, you know, any kind of story about sort of like the forgotten or overlooked histories of Hollywood, like that's just something I'm naturally going to gravitate towards, right? It's just content that that I find interesting. Um, I think uh, that the director, I think her name was Alexandra Dean, if I remember correctly, um, did um, really set out on uh, a pretty difficult project when the material to use like in actually constructing constructing this documentary is kind of limited like it's mostly just photographs mm -hmm. um, and um interviews with family members yeah um i actually was kind of impressed with the um the collage of the portraits and photographs of her that's like i don't know 70 percent of the documentary mm -hmm. um in still sort of giving me no, that, this vivid impression was, of her was beautiful and if uh, or, or at least very well done and well structured. Yeah. And if that's part of the reason why you gave it a high rating, and I absolutely think that, that fits mm. into your the characteristics of what you like because that's just good form. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of the interviews I thought were a little lackluster. Um, Which one? So there was, I'm not going to be able to remember who was who interview-wise, mm -hmm. but I can give you an example. It was after the... Um, shoplifting incident where they talk about Hetty for some unknown reason um shoplifting while and she people don't got know a why. Bunch of money on her. And she ends up uh going to jail, mm -hmm. I think. Um and they interview I want to say they interview at least a couple people, um, but one woman for sure, cause just because I remember her face and they interview her and ask her why she thinks she did it and she says, I don't know and she kind of shrugs. Um to me that it's it was moments like those where I thought maybe um, some of these inter interviews just weren't really justified. Like there, were, there was sort of this feeling that they were kind of grasping for material, um, right. just to just to fill out this documentary. It's like an interesting story, um, but there are still you know things you have to find to sort of move it along. And I thought like I don't know that this was critical um, to sort of the the momentum. That, that's very interesting because I view those moments as absolutely critical in oh. my version of how the documentary should have gone which is that two-parter ah. where you build up that well we don't know why she did it okay well what we do know is that she's on a bunch of drugs yeah what we do know is that she uh had an adopted child who requested to leave and live with someone else and she granted it and never talked to him again yeah um what we do know is the granddaughter uh only would receive photos that were signed of her grandmother when she was young. Yeah. I, I think that that was a really smart tone if they wouldn't have tried to make that claim, much like Three Identical Strangers goes to make at the end that all this stuff is factually true. I'm not disputing it's factually true, but the way they present it is very disputable. 
and I just don't know. And I'd rather have an hour and a half or uh, 80 minutes spent on understanding the woman that um, was kind of taken advantage of, that was using English as a second language, yeah. that was being told that these shots were vitamins. Yeah. Um, and became addicted to, to these hard drugs and began to have an addiction to plastic surgery um, and had a falling out with her children and began to behave differently. I would rather have a really tight section on that and kind of relying on ecstasy to fill that out. And then I would rather have a separate uplifting documentary about these brief moments in time where she was um, able to be coherent and make these uh, beautiful creations and um, hear her talk about how her mind works on those tapes and the interview that she did over the phone in the 90s um, and and show me diagrams and, and get me um, interacting with experts that are explaining to me and showing me exactly how her ideas went on mm. to shape these things but to yeah. me if you try to condense them both into an hour and a half documentary I it, that's where it's flawed to me yeah um, I think that makes sense. Um, to me, I don't know that I'd watch. I don't know that I'd want to watch it if it were that long. <laughs> I, I do. Well, I if it was a two-part it. documentary, right? Then it's yeah. number one. It's shorter the first time you watch it. Number two, you oh, watch two it in parts. Two. I thought you meant like two distinct, like hour and a half long documentaries. Is that what you're yeah, talking about? Yeah. So okay. like two eighty-minute documentaries. Gotcha. Gotcha. That are part of a collection together, but you wouldn't gotcha. sit down and watch them back to back unless you chose yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, to me, I was like, I almost had the opposite response where I, you know, I felt like there was maybe there was a limited amount of material to stretch that ninety minutes, and you're thinking they could have gone even bigger. I think um, they could have gone bigger if they would have um, gotten technological experts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, totally get that. And, and I, I understand. Into like patent law and patents, and you yeah. know, really explain this from this angle, make some comparisons to Einstein mm-hmm. and. And how he got to control his things because he was mm. working in a patent office or something, and yeah. then um, really dig into the uh, the town that she left and what happened after Nazi Germany took over. What yeah. happened to the people she knew? Because I feel mm. like you can fill that first half, like an eighty minute half, yeah, absolutely brimming. If you focus more on what she fled, what happened, what happened to her family, mm. um, the fallout of the timeline of when her father dies and how she changes her behavior patterns. Yeah. I think there's a good psychological um, investigation to be had there. And I think there's an equally good technological factual uh, documentary to be made about what the consequences of her invention were. And, you know, perhaps an interesting facet of this labor of love between her and a man that she may have been romantically entangled with. We don't really know, but based on the context of her and men, it seems slightly likely yeah yeah um yeah i think i was more comfortable with the direction it did take um than you 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 wanted more from these certain angles yeah Uh, i mean first and foremost for me that's probably a good sign right that i I wanted more at least yeah yeah rather than wanting to turn it off yeah yeah (laughs) um i mean i think especially like right now in this cultural moment like i think we hear a lot um about women who feel like they were disadvantaged um, because of their looks and perhaps because, you know, they were told they weren't looking enough. Um, I think this is, in a way, I'm, I'm just on my personal experience, like, and from my reading of the cultural moment, I think you hear a little less about 
um, women who feel like it's their beauty that's a trap for them, that's a prison for them, mm-hmm. um, as sort of as sort of an um, uh, personal and emotional point. Um, I think I, I think that was that point was made clear for me, and I think that resonated with me. Um, but I, I just watched yeah. this re- recent documentary called Iris, where she keeps bringing up this fact. She's in her nineties. She's a fashion designer. Yeah. Uh, but she keeps bringing up this fact, and I'll bring her up again with McQueen probably, that she was born ugly, mm. but she's glad of it because she had to learn mm. skills. And her, her, the girls she knew that were beautiful, they aged and decayed and had nothing. But mm. she always had a, a tool to use to make herself beautiful and, uh, and to keep herself busy, basically, which is to make herself look snappy and, and full of pizzazz and, and these outrageous costumes and outfits and things yeah. so so it, it is interesting that this is a um that point in history women are very um the the way that we talk about women is very much one way or the other it's either they were restricted by their beauty or mm-hmm. they were um restricted by their lack of it mm-hmm. which which you know back to the naked city <laughs> We're just watching the subway, and every single woman is wearing heels and not wearing pants. They're all mm-hmm. wearing skirts or dresses. Yeah. There, there is certainly a societal um, shift that's happened. That that's a beautiful shift that's happened. Yeah. Um, and it, it is really hard to figure out how to bring the societal shift into context when we're watching these documentaries about these older um, characters who are who are women. Yeah. So yeah, with regard to this societal shift that you're talking about, um, just women being allowed to wear pants, basically the first wave of feminism. Yeah, yeah. But just in the you context know, of this, late. what's the connection to the documentary? Oh, how Sorry. how Hedy Lamarr was alive and and working in the system in the studio mm-hmm. system before these shifts happened. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um. It, you know, because she she was a victim of those circumstances. She she yeah. couldn't have just stopped playing beautiful parts. Yeah, you know, even yeah. even when Jane Fonda started thirty years later, yeah, she's still best known for Barbarella, right? Yeah, well, that's what's interesting to me is right now it sounds like you're dis- to me it sounds like right now you're describing a case a case for it. To me, it's like if you if you just kind of accept that what she did invent was was valuable in the in the oh, long run for technology then then the the point of the story for me is just that um how tremendously unfortunate it was that uh it was her beauty that um put her into um a certain trajectory that she otherwise might have not have taken and otherwise would have provided perhaps much greater value so you sorry you think that i'm making a case against what i thought it sounded to me like maybe you were making a case um for why it was a good documentary um oh no i'm making the case that that it's important to keep the societal shift in mind gotcha into a character who who was alive before and after that that first wave of feminism really where girls Mm. began to be allowed to stay out late without supervision Mm. uh where birth control was all of a sudden on the market where they could wear pants and shoes. Yeah. You know, those are yeah. pretty big societal shifts. Um, yeah. And so I, I think that is an important context to have when you watch a story like this, to understand the character behind it. Mm. Um, 
and that's not necessarily a, a comment about the documentary, but merely yeah. the woman behind yeah. it and understanding it's her more. Contextual. Nope. Yeah, and her limitations yeah. and restrictions and um, that what she was thinking, you know, because she, the only reason she's alive possibly is because of her beauty. Fleeing yeah. Nazi Germany, you know. Um, yeah. Because she she got on that ship and got that five hundred dollar a week check because of her beauty. Yeah. Is, is at least how it's portrayed within the documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I agree with most of what you're saying, and that's why it did strike a chord for me. Yeah. Well, I, it's certainly good conversation. It's just I yeah. had some problems with the craftsmanship behind it. Gotcha. Yeah. Not the lady. Great lady. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. All right. Let's move on to number two and uh, have another another little bit of this beer here. Cheers. Mm. Still good. It is. Now we're going to get to probably my favorite documentary, even though it's not my highest rated, it's probably my favorite. That is Lady Gaga, Five Foot Two. What happened in the last five years? Real fans probably knew deep down that there was something going on. Paranoia, fear, body pain, anxiety. I go from everyone touching me all day and talking at me all day to total silence. And all these people will leave and then I'll be alone. I didn't feel good enough, and I do now. That's the good part. This is a good documentary. This is a great uh, year in the life, even though it feels like a day in the life, documentary with uh, Lady Gaga herself, the uh, star of A Star is Born. That's right, which is probably why this got on your radar. Was it in anticipation of the Bradley Cooper directorial debut? That's why I... I'm certainly on my Lady Gaga high right now with that trailer, and that's yeah. certainly why I would have clicked it, but it, it had been mm. in my queue for quite some time. Got it. I've been meaning been to get gestating. to it. But once I, I see her uh, her pick up that microphone and sing in the trailer, it's mm. it's absolutely necessary for me to watch this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like this documentary quite a bit. Um, didn't have terribly high expectations, but I think it exceeded my expectations. Um Often, when I watch documentaries like this, I'm a little weary of them feeling perhaps like promotional material in some way. Yes. Um, I think you get that often with uh, celebrity and, and luckily documentaries. luckily, we didn't get that at all with this no, one. It I was, don't think so. It was just as unflattering as it was flattering. Mm-hmm. And moments of joy were um, often moments of inexorable pain and, and tears. And um, it was just a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I guess there's kind of like two trajectories we're watching. It's her prepping for uh, the release of her new album, as yes. well as her um, approach to the Super Bowl performance. Mm-hmm. And, and then we have these brief interludes of uh, people that are close to her dying or becoming sick. Yeah. Or her writing um, a song for that album about someone who's died already to try to reconcile or, or um, give life to the emotions that are in the family. Mm. that she's grown up with and then there's also these moments of her acting and her getting acting jobs and yeah it, it all uh, or, or you know figuring out her costumes and all these things it it uh we do a, a mini collage about midway through i want to say where we see um her walking out of the same building when she's announcing her either her tour or it's the first day of her album's release or something and she's always mm. in these outrageous uh outfits oh yeah and one of those outfits was made by McQueen. Oh, I don't think I realized that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was actually one of my favorite moments, for sure. 
maybe yours as well. That's yes. maybe why you mentioned it. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's some some nice cutting there, right, between that archival footage and her walking out in the current yes. moment. Um, and I speaking for myself, like part of what I have always thought about Lady Gaga has had a lot to do with just what she's wearing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is a nice um, illustration of her finally just showing us, you know, who, who she is. Um, she's very much an artist that we project onto mm-hmm. what we think of, of what we're seeing. Yeah. We, we yeah. aren't really thinking about her lyricism or her performance chops or, or the range of her voice like we would with an Ella Fitzgerald or something. Yeah. With yeah. her, we, we are, you know, she she wants us to arguably as well, but we're kind of making her a Madonna. Yeah. Not just yeah. like the performance Madonna, but we're making her a Madonna. Yeah. And yeah. unlike Amy Winehouse, she has this great, strong family, this really mm. great relationship with her father. And yeah. that's what I was watching constantly because um, Amy is kind of always in my mind, the, the great um, documentary by Asif Kapadia. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime I, I watch something about a performance artist or an artist, um, he, he captured really neutrally what Amy's downfall seems to be and what the the downfall seems to be of many artists. Mm. Um, and that's a bad family relationship and an especially bad relationship with the father. And Gaga doesn't have any of this. And it seems to yeah. be her greatest strength because she's got a lot of other weaknesses, her temper, her work schedule, her um, body breaking down and, and putting her in excruciating pain. Yeah. Um, but the, this family crux that is kind of also the, the crux of the film. Yeah. Yeah, to me, like, I kept kind of waiting for maybe an explosion or something like that of anger at the people around her not getting something right or not um, being supportive enough, but it's really just quite the opposite. Like, there's at least a couple times, I think, where she says, you know, like, I don't know how I would do this, like, if you guys weren't here. Yeah. Um, Like, there is very clear humility on display. Um, and just graciousness. She, she does uh, have, you know, an unflattering breakdown where she is completely honest about the fact that she had it. Um, yeah. While she's uh, doing a scene for American Horror Story Coven, I believe yeah. is, is yeah. the uh, season that they would have been on then. Which made me want to watch um, it. Yeah, I, I've always wanted to watch it. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Maybe yeah. we'll have to do uh, there we go. one of those seasons for our uh, Halloween theme coming that up That could soon. be fun. Um, but her... Uh, my personal favorite moment with her is when she accidentally hits her producer's car in oh, the yeah. parking lot shortly after she gets her first license. Yeah. Um, at the age of 31, yeah. I believe, she gets her first license. And the the humility and the uh, how quick she is to tell him uh, is really endearing and sweet, to be honest. Yeah. It, oh, it kind absolutely. of made me fall in love with the performer. Yeah, I was even touched by his response. Yeah. Obviously, she's going to pay for it, but he was still so sympathetic, and he's uh-huh. like, it's fine, don't worry about well, it. Didn't he say, like, like if it's the worst thing you do during this album, then we're doing fine? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think he, he had that right. Um, that was a good moment. Um, one moment I really liked was when um, the lead singer from Florence and the Machine mm-hmm. is... Uh, like guest singing on a song, and Lady Gaga is about to tweet something hey or girls, put something. Oh, gotcha. She's about to put something on social media. Um, I don't remember if it was a picture or what. It but... was a picture of them in the studio recording that song. Yeah. Uh, 
and I think her name's Florence Walsh, says, you know, like, oh my gosh, like, you're about to hit send, like, isn't it crazy, like, that you're, like, about to send that to however many millions of people? And she just kind of, Gaga just kind of, like, stops and, like, stares at her in response and is like, don't remind me of that. Like, (laughs) it's funny, but it's also, like, terrifying. And identifiable. Yeah. It's very human, and I don't know, like, I felt like anyone could feel that exact way, and that's how most people would feel. Yeah. Uh, A really small moment that I realized, like, God, just the pressure I would feel with that many followers trying to manage a social Mm -hmm. media account every day and think about what I might be projecting about myself with each and every post. I was like, wow, a lot was in that moment for me. Another Um, great moment is when she's uh, she's doing the kind of the last day preparation before the Super Bowl halftime show near the very end of the film. And she uh, tells everyone besides the performers that they have to be at the top of their game and they have to do everything perfect because her performance or mm-hmm. her performers are dying and mm-hmm. they're working harder than everyone else. And she's going to ask for everything out of them. So everyone else needs to give more than they're giving her. Yeah. And I thought that was a really great moment. To, because she's sticking up for kind of the people that are allowing her to excel. Yeah. And it was just really touching. Yeah. In a way, it's like, it's just good leadership. Yeah. It's kind of weird that, to think about, what, about what this yeah. documentary is about, but I mean, you could definitely look at it from that angle. I would totally agree. I, I think that you definitely can make a case that in order to be as successful continuously as she's been, she is a good leader. Yeah, and a, and a strong one with with a backbone of sympathy, but also it doesn't bend and it knows what it wants. Yeah, yeah. And in you order see that in her outfits. Yeah, yeah. In order to kind of retain, you know, her artistic voice and not, um, you know, be pushed around in any given direction by all these people surrounding her who are pushing um, her constantly. Yeah, she does seem to remain in control, and that's like what's sort of like awe-inspiring and obviously like where the pressure comes from so right? there, there, there's this fascinating moment of i can't tell if it's manipulative control or if it's like she's playing into um something that she just understands about the interaction she's going to have but there is a key meeting in the film where she's going over the approach for her album joanne mm-hmm. and um kind of what it's going for in this back to black look Mm. And this entire meeting, she's out having a meeting with multiple people topless. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And you, at first you're like, well, she's eccentric. And then yeah. you think more about her behavior before this. And it seems like it's more she doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. And it's also deliberate. Yeah. And I think that it, that was maybe a power move by her to kind of get what mm. she wanted. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. That was a very different uh, uh, interpretation. Um, I guess I, I thought to myself, because it is sort of a, a striking scene all of a sudden, um, was just that perhaps with her privacy ultimately so limited, she just has to be herself sort of no matter what's going on. Otherwise, no, she that, might never I be herself. I think that contributes to it, but I, yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily an overt sense of power control. Mm. Or if it's more of a subconscious one, but I do yeah. think that's a power move. Yeah, to whether show it's intended to a or not. Business yeah. meeting with seven other people naked, basically. Yeah. Beside a pool is <laughs> it's it's kind of a power move. Yeah. You know, it's like, what are you going to tell me? 
Yeah. And all they told her was yes. Yeah. Which is fascinating because the other people don't seem terribly surprised. You're like, mm-hmm. this is not unusual. Um, yeah, no, that's why I think that it kind of fits with her personality. Mm-hmm. But I also think that maybe her her personality has a harshness to it. Mm. And, and I think that maybe she developed that because she didn't believe that she was beautiful. Much like we see mm. in the Star is Born trailer. And she kind of goes on to elaborate on how she doesn't think she's beautiful. And that's maybe why she's wearing these outfits. Kind of like Iris is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did think there were nice, like, allusions to her love life. And sort of, like, romantic stressors. Mm-hmm. But, um, You remember who her love life was with? Uh, no. I haven't kept up with her love life. Taylor. Yeah, but who is that? Is that a celebrity or I'd no? like it to be me. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you telling me something? I'm telling you something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it but it just never became too sappy, too um, sentimental. It that was just alluded but, but to, it was, acknowledged, it and was sincere sappy and sentimental, but in a sincere way because it was such brief moments of heartbreak. Yeah, she gets a bouquet at the end before her halftime show after she's broken up with her fiance Taylor. Yeah, and um there's kind of a rolling moment where she's having these interactions with people and, and talking about this bouquet and she hides it and then she tells everyone she's not going to hide it. And, yeah. You know, um, and I think that's kind of a an allegory to her um, interacting with the breakup in public as well. Yeah. She's going to hide it. She's not going to hide it. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I still have it, no idea. Because it start out with her saying, they're on the rocks. They're not getting along. And we never mm. see him, and all of a sudden they're broken up. Yeah, yeah. And those kind of build, you know, to her talking about wanting a family. Um, mm-hmm. And I think those are emotional moments, but they aren't melodramatic. Um, no, They're no, very they're sincere. Um, yeah. and, and her, you know, when her hip is tight, it's just as heartbreaking mm-hmm. as, as when her heart is broken. Yeah. It, it's this thing where um, we truly come to understand that this art that she's giving the audience and that she's expressing through herself means just as much as a relationship does in real life. Yeah. It's kind of a separate relationship she has with herself in the audience, um, as well as this familiar relationship. Yeah. And I think that by illustrating that constantly throughout the film, showing us um, these interactions she's having with her family and how crucial those are to her identity Mm. And her um, solace and, and her, her fortitude and um, the the phone call she has when someone um, is no longer in remission and, and the, mm. you know, the cancer is back. Yeah. These are all moments that, that made me um, just feel like she was this living, breathing person in a way yeah. that the Hedy Lamar documentary didn't. Mm. And it's restricted because yeah. Hetty's dead. Yeah. You know, but yeah. th- this is truly um, bringing out the best facets of a day in the life documentary. Yeah. I would agree. Um, and I think one time, or one thing you risk with documentaries like this when you're showcasing the uh, life of a ultra wealthy celebrity is leaving um, the viewer a little bitter about all that they have. And whether or not, you know, there is humility or appreciation. And I didn't come away thinking like, oh, yeah, like, I'm so glad she appreciates it. It wasn't that, but it was more like, I'm so glad that, like, she has these services that obviously, like, nobody else could afford. Um, But, like, 
on one hand to think about a celebrity having you know a bed in their private jet i'm like oh that sounds so decadent but when you see her finally like crash on it you're like oh my gosh that's she well looks learned. so exhausted and it's it's very well learned, uh, right? yeah yeah like you just are so happy for her for having that bed you were like go to bed thank you god you earned it please sleep <laughs> show me her sleeping <laughs> yeah yeah um you're never bitter about what she has you're like she deserves every dollar of it and because she's not being decadent you know the, the her passion seems to be her art and her expression of herself mm. so i would say her outfits are, are kind of where she spends the most money otherwise she you know has an apartment or a home in the places that she's most likely to be able to visit the most often mm-hmm. she has some dogs yeah she has a, a open top jeep she's mm-hmm. not living a crazy life of decadence yeah and she's yeah. being chauffeured around and told what to do by a bunch of people yeah. which, which requires quite a bit of a restraint and um you know open-mindedness yeah yeah i did like some of those cuts to the dogs i did too. um they're pugs i think right um, I, I, think I remember correctly, or maybe terriers, ones, maybe but... Boston terriers. I'm trying to not pugs. Yeah, you're right. I think there were there were something else. There, but, there's uh... dogs in like the apartment when she's um, playing Joanne for uh, or that song off Joanne, which I don't. Re- Is it called Joanne? The album? Yeah, I think that's you right. No, the the title of the song she was playing for her grandmother. Oh. Don't I don't think it is. I can't remember the exact song, which is really bad of me because I've been listening to that mm. album about once a day since we watched it about two weeks ago. But uh, hey, <laughs> show notes. Um, but there's dogs there, and then there's dogs when she's at her apartment. There's kind of dogs around when she's getting her massage while she's having that breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and then her strength of will to question herself while she's suffering to the camera and getting them that massage. To say, um, I, I think that you already touched on it. She basically explains that she's really happy um, that she can pay to, to take care of herself. But she's super sad for all the people that have her condition who can't. Yeah. Um, and she wonders if she's just being a big baby and if she should just put up with it. Mm. And she's wondering this aloud and, and kind of going down this rabbit hole of um, questioning her herself and whether or not she's kind of living a delusion of fake pain or, or something yeah which is very admirable yeah in the context of the film yeah yeah uh yeah there is vocal self-criticism i think on display yeah which is pretty essential to um having your making, head on straight <laughs> making something that's that's going to elicit any sympathy from us mm-hmm. um but but it also seems to be why she's uh in the position to be a decade in now Mm. and hasn't really lost a step yeah um i think that everyone that loved her probably still at least likes her yeah and i i think that there's just 10 years of children that have grown up liking her stuff now too i don't think she's done anything to ever lose a a listener like other pop stars do yeah um... she seems to be going against the curve on, on that structure yeah, you see plenty of pop stars go through cycles of rebranding or reimaging themselves, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, Miley Cyrus is maybe the most obvious one who. But also, like, I I personally think she earned it. So that so that's a separate conversation. But yeah, I think we'll have to I dig into this after the show. Those are perhaps like a bolder, um, or like more obvious kinds of like uh, changes in image. It, where well, I think I you're think... comparing a, a child who doesn't have an identity to someone who, uh, came to fame during their identity. 
yeah, th- th- that's fair. Um, I, th- I think uh, th- the the shifts in image that feel more organic, I think, are the ones that usually uh, don't risk antagonizing me as much. Um, it's the ones that feel more calculated that um, might rub me the wrong way sometimes. And mm, like if this line. is yeah, this is a great example. <laughs> or perhaps Diddy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He is the king of rebranding himself, right? He changes his name once a decade or well, something. I, I don't think he's really a king because I don't listen to him anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, if this is a transitional moment for her, like, it feels totally natural. And it doesn't totally feel like she's not going to do what she's done before again, either. Yeah. I think that she's going to expand her audience with A Star is Born. Uh, yep. They're going to go listen to Joanne and they're going to think, I really like this gal. And then she, I think she's yep. probably going to release something and wear, you know, a, a meat coat or a coat made of like circumcised foreskins or something and release Fairly a crazy possible. dance album and, uh, you know, get back right on her her thing. And, and, you know, I'll just be along the ride no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, one worth checking out, whether you like her music or not. Like, I don't listen to her a ton. I hadn't before this documentary. I listened to her a couple times since then. But um, I think it's... Uh, a good doc either way it, it is uh it's available on netflix as is um i believe the hedy lamar story bombshell um, that's right and if you watch five foot two you can youtube right after and we'll have i'll try to make sure that there's links up by the time you listen to this uh you can watch the super bowl halftime show for free on youtube mm-hmm. and then you can watch her doing a promo for it uh on uh james corden's tonight show it's about a 30-minute segment you can watch for free also on YouTube where they do uh, the the car uh, karaoke for oh, about 12 nice. minutes. And then it's 18 minutes of her just kind of being her affable, lovable self. So I like that. It's a great uh, great pairing. That's the pairing yeah. that I did with it. And it really made me leave just uh, with a smile on my face, Love and Gaga. It's a good combo. We're moving on to our third documentary, which is McQueen. It is McQueen. Should we take another sip before we continue? <laughs> Cheers. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's tasty. It's going yes. down the pipe smooth. It's exactly what I needed. Uh, All right. So we're going to dig into a fashion icon. That's right. This is uh, the documentary McQueen. I was always drawing clothes. He was a very happy child. He was passionate. When Lee was 17, he said, I'll make you a couple of skirts. I've got to say, they fit like a glove. He was drawing from all of these influences. Jack the Ripper stalks his victims. In the early years, Lee had seen violent things. The darkness created genius. Nobody could create emotions like McQueen. Which is... Did I drug you to uh, kind of misanthropic and unenthused? Yes. <laughs> this is not about the actor Steve McQueen. Nor is it about the director, Steve McQueen. It is about the fashion designer, Steve McQueen. And I did not understand that it was about anyone in particular before I went. I just <laughs> knew that it was getting a kind of decent critical reception and I wanted to go see it. And gotcha. uh, you wanted to go see Cameron Post. So we went ahead and uh, saw yeah. Cameron Post uh, on Friday. And on Saturday after a recording, we went and saw this one. That's right. There was uh, a give and take. So which one did you like more? Just off the top. Uh, I think I probably like Cameron Post more. You're a monster. <laughs> I take it you like McQueen better. I did. 
I did. I liked its five-act structure. I thought that it was a unique um, style for a documentary that Mm. I hadn't seen before, especially a documentary that has to rely on archival footage Mm. that does give such a strong portrait of the man and his art. Mm. Uh, Yeah, you say unique. Uh, What felt unique? The five-act structure. It reminded me of a Mm. five-act play structure. Mm. Uh, You you know, the rise uh, and then the... um, kind of exposure of the man the disillusion of the man the um you know the peaking of him when he uh, is clearly beginning to fall but doesn't know it himself and then the fall the inevitable death mm. of the man i think exactly what you liked is just what maybe what i didn't like um i actually it's not fair to say that i just didn't like this this is just not one that terribly excited me um but it felt like um i would call this a rags to riches story um yeah. I'd call it a tortured artist story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally fair. Um, I think you might guess what you're going to get going into this documentary, and you get precisely that. Um, yes, luckily I did not have a clue. That's that's right. So that probably plays a role. I knew it was called um, The Queen, and that the, um, the art for the um, film looked interesting. Mm. And that's because he was a, a fabric artist. Mm. Yeah. Um, I thought this was totally fine. Not one that, like, I can really point to, like, many flaws in its construction or its pace or its... Um, well, I think, I think when we came out of it, you thought it was kind of overly long. Have you changed that? Um, I don't remember what the runtime was. I think it was about it's two possible. three. Two hours and three minutes? I think so. Um, I don't know that I can't say I've felt that like since viewing it. I don't doubt that I might have said that. Um, to me, this is kind of one of those documentaries about, um, artists where, um, I kind of feel like the, how radical this artist was merited a documentary that was more radical in form. Um, I agree with you. Yeah, there wasn't, um anything that I felt like that got me to sort of experience what it was he wanted, what he says he wanted us to experience about his clothes. Um, but this is sort of the story of his life. Um, so I think, you know, I can, I can appreciate this as just a telling of his rags to riches arc. Um, but I think I was really more excited by the possibility of feeling that sort of um, repulsion or excitement that he described his clothes as, you know, um, producing. And I don't think that documentary quite, like, gave me that feeling. Did you not have moments of it? <laughs> not to the extent that I wanted them. I did. I, I like, didn't I have saw moments the to the extent that you're explaining that I wanted either. Mm-hmm. But there are certain moments when they're showing us those shows. Yeah. And the walls come down. Mm. Or she's walking around this one-way mirror structure, yeah. um, kind of rubbing her hand and her tongue and her face up against these walls, uh, yeah. much like an animal. And then at the end, finally, the, the, the walls fall down and they, they depict yeah. this, uh, what did he say, incubus? Or, or was Ooh. it a succubus? Yeah, but something he, like that. He yeah. wanted, uh, yes, something that was beautiful to look at but that went mm. kind of against all grains of what you would find pleasure in typically yeah um and and i i love that 
those yeah. in those moments and the moments where the factory uh car factory show car caught on fire and he yeah. uh he told them not to put it out and he kept marching his models out even though the gas tank could have blown at any moment um yeah i i i think that, that kind of shows the live wire edge that he was living on that inevitably would lead to his downfall yeah those absolutely were the best moments and my favorite moments. Um, but they're ones that really just made me excited for a feature film about Steve McQueen. Like, I am tremendously excited for that possibility. Steve McQueen directed yeah. by Steve McQueen? Yes. Absolutely. He's done with Widows. My most anticipated movie, if such a film were to exist. Could he get Elizabeth Debicki to play that um, that <laughs> curious crooning, um, uh, what would that be, um not a protege he would be her protege master i suppose you know, almost it was his financier right she was fighting him right but also his teacher his mentor yeah his mentor i would say yeah she could fill that role i think yes um viola I, davis uh, in some role that that uh <laughs> we just come up with a reason to have her <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um this is widow's talk yeah <laughs> i think sometimes feature films are better than documentaries at getting at um emotional truths and one of the i think emotional truths that this was sort of lacking for me is what it was like to really be one of those shows i just i couldn't quite get there even though i was really impressed with the artistry um i just can imagine what a director who really knows Mm -hmm. how to move the camera would do i absolutely Um, agree i felt like i was a voyeur of the voyeurs at those shows mm, i was watching them watch it yeah not yeah. that I was watching it. Um, and I think that that's a restriction due to his death and the fact that this is archival footage. And mm-hmm. I, I think that maybe I'm granting it more leniency than I granted Hedy Lamar. And I think you're granting mm-hmm. it less leniency than Hedy <laughs> Lamar. Yeah, yeah, that could be. Um, I was, like, absolutely moved by some of the interviews with him. Um, Especially in his liposuction pre- and post-self. That was yeah. uh, that was hard to... Uh, to deal with because he yeah. he didn't like himself when he was skinny yeah and he thought that he would and, and he developed a, these drug addictions and had these fallouts with his friends and um and and then you know his friend calls him up out of nowhere after three years and he says where have you been get over here now yeah yeah um to me it was something about his voice too where there was kind of mm-hmm. like you hear the fragility in his voice the pain um like you almost didn't even need to show me that like had i just heard that in an audio clip i was like is that guy all right yeah um anguish yeah yeah absolutely but but um, he is uh he's an artist whose whose art is filled with anguish and yeah. his life story is is filled with anguish um yeah the abuse and and the abuse of the women in his family you know it um, we were kind of, I think, two episodes into Sharp Objects when we watched that documentary. And I, yeah. I'd been kind of building up a, a interplay be- between those two mm. in my head of, you know, how the witness of these uh, monstrosities and abuse corrupts and mm. um, inevitably leads to, to a, a less fulfilling and less lengthy life. The, these patterns yeah. of historical violence that Gillian went on to depict in Sharp Objects and and much of her other stuff, and that Steve McQueen lived through. Yeah. Or not Steve McQueen, McQueen. Is his name Steve? I think it is Steve McQueen. Well, yeah. Shit. I guess I'm That's right. why it's even harder, right? Oh, I think that in the documentary he says that his mother named him Steve McQueen because she thought Steve McQueen was handsome. Yeah, we need to know their middle names. We do. Is 
basically what would help us right now. Um, what about his college story? Was that um, grounding for you? Did that kind of provide some of these emotional stakes that you often um, look for in a, in a film? Or do you not look for those in documentaries? Yeah, I remember him talking a little bit about him using his welfare check to fund his uh, fashion design. And he would uh, go uh, take beans from his parents' house or, or go eat dinner with them. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that and that absolutely struck a chord. Um, you know, there's... there's I, I think you have to be kind of an empty person to not feel something when you see a person trying that hard to pursue what they love, mm-hmm. right? Um it's hard. It's just, I just think it'd be hard for anybody not to feel something. Yeah, um, I, I think that um, due to it being limited to archival footage, yeah, it um, it could have been possibly near as good as Five Foot Two was mm-hmm. if we were allowed to spend a day in the life or a year in the life of watching him balance these two different um, clothing companies he was running. He yeah. was running his own McQueen, and then he was running a separate label that I don't recall the name of. Um, yeah. in france and he was the first designer who ever went down and ate food with his employees in the, yeah. the lunch hall and i felt like if we could have had a documentary detailing these moments um uh, kind of when he first hits yeah through running those two uh different fashion design houses or companies that would have been a lot better of a documentary but i think that yeah. with the limitations built in by his death it it was serviceable and i i derived great pleasure from the five act play structure yeah i I just have to be transparent about that i i always like it when i see it yeah yeah it's a nice smooth and satisfying arc yeah yeah um yeah like i said there aren't too many things that i would point to as wrong it's just you know the um the form i think is limited in how excited i can get about it um and when the the long rumored feature does eventually come out i think whatever artist whatever director is behind that film um should be willing to take a little liberty and um try to get at what some of those um emotional objectives were that mcqueen was pursuing so there, to there pass is going to be a feature Film. well there it has been rumored yeah. for a long time yeah, yeah i think you know it's one of those movies that's like balanced between directors that, and stuff. that's interesting because yeah. you know if we were talking about like 1999 through maybe 2006 i i, I would put up you know christian bale and prosthetic makeup as Ooh. an actor who could possibly play mcqueen because you, whoever this is is gonna have to go through rapid weight loss yeah if it's gonna, it. if it's yeah. gonna be a decent film yeah um or, or, like, not a decent film, that's unfair. But if it's going to be a film of, of authenticity, you know? Yeah. Um, and if they're going to use fat suits, I, I don't know that, that I would like it as much. I, I kind of... If they're going to do it, I want an authentic, you know, breakdown where I watch a man slowly wither himself. Mm. And that's why I like Christian so much. Because of what he mm. does to himself in The Machinist. Yeah. Or um, what was that other film that he did? Um rosario dawson Ooh, i don't think i know that came out of 2013 i want to say out of the furnace yes really yes oh that was just a guess first yeah. one that came to mind yeah the the weight loss that he goes through and and i know that he's using prosthetics for his um 
his new Dick Cheney film, but he, he, the, oh, yeah. the transformations he goes through, even the big short that he's just one of those actors who kind of becomes something. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I'm wondering if, if you have a feel for who you would want to play McQueen when I'm wondering all these things loud. That's what I meant to ask. You. Yeah. So I, you know, I do naturally go for just who's, who has the natural resemblance. And I think maybe with sort of that rounded, the, the roundedness of his head, I could kind of see Jonah Hill pulling this off in his first big dramatic My God. role. Is that hard to get your head around? No, that's perfect. But I just don't want Jonah <laughs> to tack on weight again. He I know. so great now. He does I don't want sharp. him to have to do it. This is true. I don't, you know, I like skinny Jonah. He's a healthier Jonah that's not going to die as quickly. I, I'd rather have him stay true. skinny. Maybe that's just not cool of me. <laughs> <laughs> He's done it so much, I don't want him to have to do it again. He's like, seriously, guys, I worked so hard. But, but I am skeptical of his ability to pull off that uh, accent. I don't know if it's a Cockney accent yeah, exactly. It is but... a... But, but it is a strong British Specific, accent. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it almost has a lisp to it at the end. Yeah. Um, where, where I think that maybe you have to pick more of a, a British actor. Yeah. You might have to lean into the pool of, you know, Harry Potter talent. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I could see, uh, you know, maybe Neville Longbottom gaining some weight. Yeah. Oh, I off, could see that. Even though he's astoundingly handsome now. Yeah. I, I, I do think that he could be kind of a character that can pull this off. That's what the director can yell. Like, I need more Neville Longbottom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know that I have a, a tough word to say, but... Um, I, I think it's a great film, and I think that yeah. everyone should see it. I, yeah. I hope that it gets nominated, but I imagine there's going to be more documentaries that deserve it more. Mm. And I don't hope that it gets nominated over more deserving things. But I, mm. I would like to see it nominated for something. Um, and that should be in wide release everywhere by october yeah i wouldn't discourage anybody from seeing it just because i had a i was a little milder on it i think it's perfectly worth checking out yeah and it's a great pairing with iris as well there you go um let's move on to the cats at play that's right the kitties or perhaps the kitties i think that's how that you say that in plural i i believe so it's not like octopi, ketty, maybe also... <laughs> I will say they're cutie pies. They are cutie pies. I think we should maybe just, on a more serious note, be transparent. Like, are you a dog person? Or are you a cat person? I'm non-biased. I've had dogs. I don't have one now. I've had cats. I have a cat now. But I Fair live enough. in an apartment. And it's yep. a lot easier to have a happy cat in an apartment and to leave for vacation with a cat than it is with a dog. But once I'm a landowner, I will be uh, once again a dog person. How about you? All fair things. Um, I am allergic to cats, as you know, as our listeners but, are but hearing But you, d- you do fawn over my cat when she I is do. present. So you are not a non-cat person. Absolutely not. I adore cats. I equally adore dogs, so, you know, I love them all. So, we're lacking a, a dog-cat <laughs> bias. That's how you know we're trustworthy, yeah. folks. We are fair sources. We are the creme of the crop. Creme de la creme. That's right. Ketty, I love this documentary. I did, too. I, I did, too. Um, so, in documentaries, are you still navigating towards your form over content? Um... 
I meant to get to that kind of before we got this far into our documentary talk, but let's dig in. I think form is uh, still of great importance to me. This is kind of the first documentary so far that the form became almost more important than the subject. Yeah, in a way, the form is the content. It is, yes. We do these swoops, sweeps, skitters, Mm -hmm. jolts uh, along at at shin height as if the camera is a cat. Yeah. And we, we see these moments of, you know, only places where cats go. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, when this came out, like, multiple times I considered going to watch it in the theater, and I thought to myself, there is no way I need to watch this in the theater. I will wait until it comes out on VOD. I think it could have been really beautiful in the theater. I really regret it. Like, I think there would have been something pretty special about watching these cats dwarf you uh-huh. on the big screen, especially when uh, the camera goes close on some of them, you know, and the, uh, a cat's face is filling the frame. Um, and I or, think, or when it's um, kittens, yeah, that oh, yeah. are without a parent and yeah. uh, being nursed by you know the citizens of Istanbul. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, we're in Istanbul in this, this documentary. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, to me, it's one of those docs that proved the rule that sometimes the less you do, the less that can go wrong. Um, this easily could have been overburdened with voiceover narration. Or, or just focus too many on interviews. The highway building or... Yeah, you know, or, you know, acknowledging like anything that like, you know, the local government has to say about these pests or something like that. Instead, like, it's really just I, I do get the sense um, there's about four hundred minutes on the cutting room floor. Oh yeah, you gotta think, right? Right? Yeah. Uh I don't recall seeing uh, surely this had its own editor. I don't think he directed it and edited it. Um but like that would have been a feat to have tackled this. Um, and to figure out which um, citizens' interviews to leave in and which ones to take out. Yeah. Um, which moments to leave, which, which ones not to. I, this is kind of the only documentary so far where there's multiple subjects and I can't tell you that I want to see less or the same mm. amount of any of them. I only want more of all of the cats and all of the cat people. Yeah. <laughs> I only want more of it. Yeah, there is something I want to a that. Docu series. <laughs> I agree. In the trailer, they make a point to, like, note the name of each cat and their label. You know, it's like, you know, this is, I don't know, the name of the cat. You know, he's the hunter, and this one's the cuddler, and this kind of thing. You don't get those little title cards in the documentary itself. No, you don't. Um, instead, you like, you still kind of get these individual portraits, but I think by not having that, like, it all sort of bleeds together in a much more just natural way. Um which I really enjoyed. Um, and as focused as it is on the cats, like, I think this is, like, a film that really develops its sense of place, right? Like, this is a much as much about the cats themselves as it is just about how they are um, sort of embedded in the city of Istanbul, right? And by um, doing that, I think that it kind of expresses the identity of the citizens of Istanbul even more. Mm-hmm. Um, we have these moments in the market. We have these moments with fishermen. We have yeah. these moments with a, a man who, instead of going home after he gets off a long day's work, um, is carrying around plastic bags of food and making sure that he sees all the cats that he knows. Yeah. And and he knows which cats he's not seen, and he knows which ones are pregnant, and which ones just had kittens, and which ones kittens are about to leave, and, and he he's, he's aware of all these things. Um, and, and we watch, 
cats sometimes walk up to the fishmonger and take the fish out of the ice. Yeah. And we kind of see him cast a downward look uh, of uh, displeasure, but he doesn't do anything to challenge them taking that. Yeah. And that is his own small um, gift to these, um, you know, pieces of the city yeah. that are keeping the rats at bay. The, to me, this is mm-hmm. equally a documentary about the absence of rats. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's it's kind of a relationship movie, right? It's, it it's, is. it's the cats and how they relate to the city and how they relate to the people. Like, that is as much the focus as kind of like the cats themselves, I guess. Um, it, it's almost a love story. It kind of feels like yeah. Lady and the Tramp somehow, even though it's all about cats. Yeah. Um, it's a weird, you know, it's another one that, that I think is kind of hard to rate for me because it's like, I don't, I really don't feel like there's anything wrong here, like, it just doesn't just, uh, do anything perfectly is the other criticism I would have, or the only criticism I would have for it. Yeah. At no point is it absolutely perfect in doing something groundbreaking. And I think yeah. that in order to ascend over a four, you do yeah. have to do something groundbreaking. Which and is I think hard. that's like... really, really hard to do in a documentary format, unless your subject is extraordinary. Um, yeah. I think it's really only attainable for feature films. Yeah, it's like is this, to me, the best documentary about cats in Istanbul that I can imagine? It's pretty close. I don't know that I would ask for much the, else. The only but other thing it's... would be a first-person camera caller view of a hunter cat <laughs> in the sewers of Istanbul murdering rats for an hour and a half. That'd be pretty cool. It's I the, would uh, watch the fuck out of that, too. More like <laughs> if De Palma directed it or something. <laughs> Blow cat. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah, like I was pretty concerned that it was just going to be too cute, and that's why I kept postponing it, and I didn't feel like that at all. Um, I, th- I think it was adorable and cute, but it, it was, was also cute, kind but... of, um, you know, challenging, and, and it showed yeah. moments of cat hostility over territory, mm-hmm. uh, over female cats um, yeah. as, as territory, which, you know, is, is just fascinating in the current cultural climate that we're yeah. still allowed to you know, have these conversations extracurricularly through separate mammals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one that I think, I think I gave it a three and a half. I kind of want to bump it up to a four. That's what I uh, gave it. Did you give it a four? Yeah. Oh, nice. I love my uh, I think, I think you're, you're right about that. I think sometimes, um, just the, the images themselves are enough. Um, like this was a, splendid way to spend an hour and 20 minutes it's not that long or, or how about the the cat that when he wants to come in he holds his paw up and kind of stands sideways and knocks oh adorable or uh i it could even be the same cat the cat that goes to the meat shop and uh knocks on the window to make sure that they know that he's outside waiting for his daily meats but he won't actually go inside he waits right he, and that's oh. why he gets it and uh he eats underneath the bench right if only we were all as what polite as that cat. <laughs> we can all learn from that cat. And and I, I think it was great to um, get kind of an interpretation of Istanbul's classic trading structure and its, mm. its sea trade mm-hmm. by talking about the cat breeds that came in on the ships that were um, there to kill the rats on the ships. And then they would get off the ship and never get back on the ship before the ship would leave port 
Mm. That's how they got yeah. all these Norwegian cats. And and within the film, you do see a lot of Norwegian cats. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think they're they're different in some pretty significant ways, but I think this would be like kind of a fun feature with the documentary rat film did you see that one last I year i haven't seen that and uh yeah. once i watched this i really wanted to see it it's just i had yeah. never been able to find a copy oh uh, gotcha yeah. I, I think that it's kind of only available digitally through their website yeah yeah i, I was that hoping that hulu or netflix would have it you know by now yeah yeah it's a little surprising it's it's it was released like early last year I don't, i'm kind of surprised it's not available for i, I know it's kind yet. of a splitting film I, I, yeah. I think some people gave it like their film of the year their their you know, put it in their top ten, and other people hated it and gave it a two. You know, yeah, it's yeah. it's a splitting film, um, and I understand it kind of makes a, a artificial intelligence or technological claim by the end of it, which oh uh, yeah, somewhat interesting. Yeah, that's true, and I I, I think that resonated less less with me than just sort of the parallels yeah. between you know the rats of this city, Baltimore, um, and the people of Baltimore, and how that, race sort of parallels the. Um, community yeah. of rats it's weird to call it i guess our community no, knowing uh, rat my, population knowing myself and you knowing my documentary likes do, yeah. do you think this is one of those things that i'm going to hate because it tries to make a factual thematic or thesis claim at the end of the film mm, i don't think so actually because to me this is a in a way it's more a documentary that um is really just um nothing more than a collection of evidence hmm. i don't know that there is a, a thesis i think it so it some of the best documentaries yeah leads i mean maybe that maybe you would equally dislike that if there is no claim but so, to no, me no, i kind no. of like I, I don't mind like, when there's not a claim right five foot two doesn't have a claim yeah the queen doesn't yeah. have a claim i don't mind yeah. when there's not a claim yeah i mean these are to me these are clear these are clear sort of relationships and trends but sort of what you deduce from these premises is i think sort of left up to you especially just you know in how it sort of um proceeds like there are just all kinds of different forms right it's not just interviews it's you know um maps overlaid against each other of like sure. where populations are in baltimore and where yes. the cats are um like that's something that would be kind of be interesting to see in Ketty, right? Mm -hmm. Is like you know where are breakdowns most of, these cats? of Istanbul cats versus rats yeah, yeah. um but I, I think that yeah. could compromise some of its um, tone and, and absolutely. Sweetness I don't think I sugariness. actually want that. It, it would just be interesting. But you're totally that, right. That'd be a fun um, edit to see. Um, yeah. yeah. I just kind of building on the idea of making a claim at the end of a documentary. I, I think mm. that the only documentarian I've ever let get away with it and appreciated it w would be, um, yeah, or, or specific documentary would be like "Lo and Behold: Reveries of the." Uh, interconnected world it was a herzog right yeah yeah I, I think Werner is one of the only documentarians that can um build his entire documentary in a way where you find his claim to f make sense by the end mm. of it yeah. whereas most other documentarians i don't think have as strong a voice as he has are there ones that you think are good examples of the thesis being first there are but i just couldn't. not to put you on the I, I couldn't Come think of them it. two brutes in yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> once we get on the other side of infinity war they'll all be flooding back to me that's exactly right um so yeah two thumbs up on ketty for me do you have anything else you want to add i have a heart i have four stars as it rightfully deserves and i i think that i've never scored a documentary higher than a four mm -hmm. i may have given five foot two four and a half 
but that would be because of the artist or the the artist who is the subject. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, the only way to get above a four is to have a subject that is begetting of that. And I think that's why a feature film can get a four and a half and a five, because yeah. the actors are such great artists, as yeah. well as the artist portraying the thing. Yeah, yeah. The subject has to be worthy of it to begin it, with. Exactly. The yeah. only really the only film ever that um doesn't follow this formula would be 2001 a space odyssey where the form and the presentation is why it's a five not Mm. the actors oh yeah have you seen camera person not yet oh yeah i know that's that's a top of your list i believe it's one of your top four films that you like on Letterboxd. oh yeah 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 um but i still have to get to umbrellas or shibboleth priorities that's a tough call i'll let you decide which one first uh any final thoughts or shall we move on i love it i love kitties you love it you love kitties and you're allergic it's correct it is uh available for digital rental i believe i don't think it was on netflix i don't think so yeah but it, it's definitely on all the typical stuff yep. and i'm pretty sure that it's gonna be on and off um instant streaming throughout the future so yeah. Always make sure that it's not streaming through a Google search somewhere else before you rent it. Yeah. Just hope that Criterion picks it up or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on to our uh, next and final documentary of the podcast, which is Minding the Gap. Life might be moving too fast. We have to fully grow up and it's going to suck. When you're a kid, you just do. You just act. And then somewhere along the line, everyone loses that. I knew you had some huge weight on you. Skateboarding meant more to you. It was kind of a life or death thing. I remember hearing screaming coming from your room, and it was like really, really unnerving. Hulu original. I believe it's a Bing Lu's documentary film, wherein he is the subject and kind of the um, the gaping emotional hole that builds the structure of the documentary. Yeah. And I loved it a lot more than I expected to. It is up for mm-hmm. Golden Brick consideration on oh, I didn't the know that. Film Spotting podcast. Okay. Um, did you listen to their podcast? I did. Gotcha. Cool. I did. Were they positive? They were, um, yes, they were positive, but Josh was skeptical about some of uh. the um, moments, as oh, only Josh could be. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> he, gotcha. Took, he took me off guard. If I, when you think you've got him figured out, he, he throws a wrench in you. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I I loved it as well. Um, I thought it was pretty incredible that a documentary filmmaker this young would sort of be as uh, humble and, and and sincere as he was. In no way did this ever feel um, overexcited, which I think you get with some first-time filmmakers um, or. Um, so an interesting cocky. point that they kind of brought up was, yeah, he's a first-time filmmaker, but do you think he's a last-time filmmaker? Mm. This is all his life. This yeah. is comprised of, of years of his life and footage of it. Do you yeah. think he'll make another film, whether or not it's a documentary? I could, uh, I could see him doing cinematography on additional films. Um, I don't know that... To me, this really, this was such a personal story that it's, it's, I mean, I can't say I've listened to interviews or anything like that with him, 
but I can't say that this is something that um, it felt like he is just compelled to tell the other people's stories. This is as much, you know, for us as it is for him. Yes. So it wouldn't, in a way, it wouldn't surprise me if he was like, this was, this was just something like that I needed to do. Um, and but that, having that's also, why I think it's so strong because it is yeah. a, f- a film he needed to make and it's about him processing things that he needs to process. And he's open, he, he gives us the scene where he openly questions why it is that he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's the same reason why I love Five Foot Two. Mm-hmm. The honesty that, that Gaga has is the same that Bing has, yeah. where he's being self-critical. Yeah, you know, while he's in his emotional pain, while he's digging around in the mm-hmm. fact that he was being abused by his mother's husband and his mother was being abused and and his uh, half brothers being abused. Gaga's, you know, laying there in sheer agony, criticizing herself for her wealth. Yeah. Yeah. It, it did remind me a little bit of Camera Person um, in the sense that the director of Camera Person, um, her name's Kirsten Johnston, and she's primarily a documentary cinematographer. Um, absolutely one of, I, I think it probably is my favorite documentary and just one of my favorite films, period. But, um, it's one that, like, I, I don't know that, like, I expect her to, like, follow it up with something great because it just feels like a memoir. And, like, we all kind of have, like, one memoir, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess, you know, I, I, it's, it's not um, – stories about yourselves – stories about yourself are very different from stories about other people. Um, and I think this is as much about being as it is about these other subjects. I'm trying um, to think of that documentary for um... – that that Vietnam film, the documentary of the making of Apocalypse Now. Ooh, I don't know that one. It's better than the film Apocalypse Now. Is basically the crux of it, and and it's kind of like Ooh. that. Like you know, a, a life can be beautiful, but a documentary about a life can only be made once, and and you mm. can never make another one that'll be just as good. Yeah. Now you can make a bad one, but then you're kind of destined to, you know, always be second fiddle to that but you can only make one truly great one. And if yeah. you've already made it, you can't go back to the well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do think, like, what he does with the camera is uh, impressive, and it works. Like the, Those moments of movement, much like Keddie, yeah. where we're kind of at calf height and we're watching the board zip along, um, we're watching the um, wheels and, and the skateboards um, and, and the boys mind the gaps, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, Bing is assembling and editing this film, minding the emotional gaps and um, the the emotional gaps that the parents of these these boys had, that are perhaps continuing this generational historical violence. Yeah. Once again, to bring sharp objects up, th- yeah, this yeah. is the subject kind of of the film. Um, Bing's abuse, Bing's mother's abuse, Bing's half brother's abuse. The abuse, I don't remember her name, but the abuse of the um, the girlfriend within the picture who has the child with kind of the um, almost the most affable character until we really understand. Uh, it starts with a K. What's his name? Oh, I should have looked these up beforehand, but I don't remember off the top of my head. Keir- Call him Chris. Oh, no. no. Kieran was Kieran. The, the African-American, right? Yeah. Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. So okay, un- gotcha. until yeah. we get to develop Kieran's character... Um, Kieran isn't as sympathetic as the other character, mm. who who we 
go to understand it is abusing women. Mm-hmm. But then there's kind of this switch, and I can't really put my finger on when, but Kieran becomes more sympathetic, more affable, and, and uh, has more magnetic weight in, in the film. And I mm. think that maybe reflects Bing's growth in relationship with one over the other. Mm-hmm. And then we start getting more time spent with the girlfriend of this other character yeah. and um, his son than we do with him. Yeah. And then we find out that he moved to Colorado on a whim. Yeah. That he's uh, throwing knives or something. That he's that he's acting like a hooligan. Um, and, you know, he moves from one hard job to another hard job. But his jobs keep becoming less um, respectable. Not that, yeah. not that he's doing anything that, that's deplorable or anything. But he moves from being kind of a construction worker that's making a good good wage, good living. into kind of working at like a subway or something. Mm-hmm. You know, he's working backwards. Normally, people work at Subway to build up their job history, and then they they make another move. Yeah, um, not kind of the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is sort of like a a slow trajectory we see. We see, like, I think at first when we see him interacting with his kid, like, I kind of thought this is going to be a story about him maybe stepping up to the plate. Um, and being a good dad. That's very much um, the tone of the first 30 minutes. Right? And I, I think that's... that's. Um, and he played us well. Yeah. Bing did a really good job of playing into our expectations. But it's not like an aha gotcha. Like, it's, it's just life kind of as no, it is. No, it's, it's um, kind of... Um, it's just the way it happened. No, it shows us our own um, internal narrative uh, where we, as people, expect men to show up and change and develop more character and work harder when they are presented with more um you know you could call it baggage or you could call it responsibility yeah and we were 100 percent expecting that but then he goes on to behave as these other boys parents had behaved yeah deplorably yeah and uh it's interesting that and i think the some of the more critical takes of the doc that I've read um, voiced some frustration with being not taking him to task for it, which I think is interesting um, and not I, I sort of confronting Bennett, him about it. And, but I think making he, he this documentary him and the fact that he asks. Him. Yeah, but there's, I mean, I right. But the point is that like, he doesn't, he doesn't criticize. He doesn't, he doesn't say, um, I think you're making a mistake or something like that. Some people thought it was, um, I don't think anybody actually used the word like cowardice or anything like that. But to me, that's what the cr- criticisms were implying was that perhaps Bing should have stepped up, having recognized this. And I think like I think that's what that's, he's doing by making a documentary. Yeah, I was gonna um, say I think that's less effective than letting um everything play out and letting him show his friend exactly how his friend seems to be. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, like, I think that's uh, a take, but one that I don't agree with. I think I, I think it's a the weak art take that speaks very for itself. Agenda. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think I disagree. I think the the making of the documentary and choosing to portray his friend's decision to do something that being you know quite clearly knows will not be digested well by most audiences i think well he doesn't know about it until after it's happened uh yeah but i'm thinking of you know the 
scene towards the end when I wish I could remember that kid's name who we're talking about. Not Bing, but the mm-hmm. other friend. Not Kieran. The other guy. And they're they're sitting somewhere, kinda of overlook like looking over a lake and having a a beer and he says, you know, sometimes, you know, uh a girl's just gotta be slapped or something mm-hmm. like that. Um I think that Bing him getting to see himself say that. Yeah. Exactly. And see his friends reaction not correcting him mm-hmm. will bring about more change that is lasting than if he were to have corrected him. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think, yeah, I mean, for the sake of the documentary, I agree. I mean, I, I kind of, I, like, in an alternative reality, hoping maybe did say something. No, I, right? as a person, right, <laughs> you and I yeah. would have said something. Yeah, But I think that kind of shows Bing's strength where he's kind of playing the long game where he's going to bring about lasting change. Yeah. Where I, I think that, that this documentary can bring about some lasting change and hopefully shine a light on the city of Rockport that clearly mm-hmm. needs it. Yeah. You know, there's a there's um, kind of a, a clear problem in the amount of children that are left to do nothing without any supervision and without any direction in this city. Yeah. And the, you know, the skateboards seem to be the thing that they're um, kind of using as fathers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hurting them. Um, they're running away from their fathers because they hurt them, but they're they're trying to master uh, this board that moves on wheels and they're they're boys that are trying to master life moving forward throughout this this picture you know there, there's a yeah. clear metaphor there and i thought it was yeah. very beautiful and touching the way that um bing was able to capture it kind of in this ethereal but really grounded tone yeah yeah you know i grew up watching a lot of snowboard movies um johnny waiting. tsunami well, no, I mean like you know the Transworld uh, Snowboarder magazine. Oh yeah, um, you know I, those kind of ones. I'd pop those in um, too, but I mean yeah. nothing tops Johnny Tsunami. But also a great movie. Um, but yeah, in a way, I was like, I, I, it was way before I ever sort of like realized how much I love movies, and I was like, I'm sure like I should revisit those and like just realize like the artistry that's on display. Uh, oh with yeah, some of that the, the way work, that they get know? some of the cascading snow when oh, they're yeah. going off of a cliff. Yeah. And how it covers the dark snowboard outfit completely before they emerge from behind the pure white. Yeah. And they continue rocketing down the mountain. Yeah. 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 Um, it certainly made me, like, want to revisit those in a way. Um, but, yeah, I also think, like, so many documentaries make the mistake of thinking that, like, to make a documentary, you just have to find and an extraordinary subject, which I think is a mistake, like... I think sometimes great documentary filmmaking is just about paying attention. Or um, ordinary subjects with extraordinary uh, average day-to-day moments. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just by 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 being observant, by paying close attention, you find the extraordinary in the ordinary. I, um, I, I don't think that's what happened in mind the, Minding the Gap, though. I think what happened mm. was that Bing had raw, unresolved emotions and that his friends that he was filming skateboarding in their moments in life ended up recurring this generational pattern of violence against women and against children that um that bing had experienced himself Mm -hmm. and had deeply affected him and i think that that raw wound um 
Hmm. is the direction that this took. I think it's a lot more focused, and I think it's on accident. Um, you, you know, like, hmm. I, I think it's deliberate after a certain point, but I, I think that it begins as an accident. It's just him filming hmm. his friends. And I think that yeah. it begins to develop. And um, that that's best illustrated near the end when, when Kieran says, um, or when Bing tells Kieran why he's making the documentary and hmm. kind of the last or second to last interview with him before yeah. he moves to Colorado and Bing tells him about um, being beaten by his stepfather. Mm-hmm. And Kieran's like, I had no idea. And yeah. he's like, that's why I'm making this because I, I thought that, um, I thought that our stories were very similar. Mm-hmm. So he's making this, this documentary without even telling anyone the, the reason behind it. And, and so I, yeah. I do think it's deliberate, but I also think that um, because they had no clue what was being, um, or what the end goal was for Bing, that it's mm-hmm. also very much accidental. Yeah, accident. I don't know if that that's the word I would use. I incidental. mean, accidental. Yeah. Um, be, that wouldn't be my first if, choice. If of you word. know um, what a documentary's end goal is, you will behave differently because of it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they surely didn't know what the goal was. Surely, you know, whatever we see. Kieran and the other kid do you know is is incidental because Bing's not telling them to do anything but like I wouldn't want like to me the word accidental or incidental um somehow undercuts I think the how observant Bing was in acknowledging the the role no, of no, economic no, no, no. depression I, let me finish okay. I think the uh I think he was uniquely observant for a kid in that town relative to a lot of the other kids we see in that town yes. to um to pay attention as closely as he did to the role that the economic depression in this town played in providing these kids not a lot of opportunities um in even sort of recognizing that these kids had similarly um troubled upbringings um i don't know that like i believe every person has this in them and i think that like there is like something special about the voice he brings to this um that i wouldn't describe as incidental i would describe as um uniquely observant um 100 his authorial voice is observant and noting of the um the nature of the city the lack of its economic finances the lack of opportunity Um, and how that affected, number one, the father figures, which are mm. um, classically based on their generation expected to bring home earnings, especially in Kieran's yeah. um, perspective. But what, what I'm saying, accidental or incidental, I'm not talking about um, Bing's authorial voice within the documentary. I'm talking about the footage that he captures from the people that are part mm. of this, Kieran and the other boy, and mm. the girlfriend and the child. Um, mm. This is incidental footage and or accidental footage. And what I mean by that is that they don't know what Bing is making. Mm. And yeah. therefore, all the footage has to be incidental or accidental because they're, they um, are not allowed to behave in a way where they know the end derivation of the goal. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I, I think that he ends up with incidental footage that he can assemble in a way around his, his authorial um, emptiness. Mm-hmm. At, at the pattern of generational violence that affected him and both the other boys. And what's fascinating is that you're picking up on the economics of Rockport. Yeah, 
Yeah. And that's what affected their fathers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like a new thing. Yeah. And um, that that boy, he built that skate park, right? Yeah. And it went nowhere. And, th- and that was kind of his dream. Yeah. That was his dream. Was he was going to be a dad. He was going to have this skate park that he was going to run, and that was going to be... And once that fell apart, it seems like that's when the generational violence picks up. Yeah. That, you know, dreams fall apart in the city of Rockport, and yeah. they begin to act like their fathers. And their fathers were bad men who couldn't make enough money for them and would take out their rage at life on that. Yeah. Yeah, I was really struck by some of the footage of Kieran's mom um and her um dating some other guy who we we kind of see like on the periphery of the screen but who um is by no means filling the gap you remember what bing says uh no i don't remember specifically um, so is that your friend yeah he's a friend mm. later when he's not there anymore uh where's your friend oh he's not around anymore yeah another gap that's that's not exactly filled uh another um lens format thing that, that depicts this really eloquently and i think just as accurately as this and feels like real life is the chai from lena waith um, oh yeah, yeah. It, it's a yeah. television show on showtime and yeah. there's a scene i think i think episode six um that's very very much similar to that moment of um uh, n- not the last moment where he's gone, but that first moment where he's there for the first time. And it's an adult son dealing with um, a, a man who he doesn't know if he's going to be like all the other men and be bad or not. Mm, yeah. And, you know, you you don't leave the show knowing, really. But it, it's this continuous thing of yeah. um, these these poor economic straits bringing this out of men more than women, it seems. Yeah. Because men, um, in these classical terms, are putting it on themselves to try to find a wage and when they can't they either um continue doing something that is not going to bring home as much as they need and they hate themselves for it or they're going to do something terrible yeah um to make enough money and then they're going to behave deplorably because of it yeah 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 it's like many docs like you kind of want to see these people revisited right in like a decade um i don't know if i want that i think that would break my heart could be i, I don't and, think that what's his name is gonna stay in that marriage for long i think bing yeah. chose really um quaint footage to end it yeah with him that is um him being nice to his friend rather than him being mm-hmm. mean I, I, yeah. I think you end it in two years and it's a lot more depressing yeah yeah i didn't listen to the film spotting episode but i think i read uh josh's review and i think he maybe had the same quibble about the ending that i did which is maybe that that he maybe tried to end it on a bit too much of an emotional crescendo or something like that. There was, there, there's kind of a montage in, in a uh, musical um, high note that it that I think it tries to kind of pull together. And I, I don't know that it was necessary. Like, I think I was already feeling more than enough. Yeah, that um, comes up on the episode. Oh, does it? Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm in Adam's camp where I think that he earned it as, an, as mm. a documentarian to, he built up to that. And I think, I think mm. that's earned. And I think you're more against it and that you didn't need that you were already yeah. there. Yeah, yeah 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 sometimes um i do think it it's makes just it too much for me it's like more broad I, yeah. though i i like i did you not give it a perfect five because of that um 
I don't think it was that specifically. No, okay. I just think it was just so it's knowing just relatively what a movie can a do for taste. me. Yeah. Um, yeah. why did you not give it a five? Um, that's hard. I mean, sometimes you just know what movies can do to you, and you know what a five feels like, and. I don't think that there was something specifically wrong with this. I just know that it didn't quite get me there in my enthusiasm for it. Um, but I got you close. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Is there anything that you would have rather had been do? Um, that moment is one, since we're talking about the finale. Um, oh, okay, so we're talking yeah. about the finale. You don't want that. What do you want instead of that as a finale? Um, I don't know that I like to say that. I mean, to me, I mean, to me, like, I'm, able, I'm only able to talk about, like, what they did do. Otherwise, I just, like, you you can go in an infinite number, infinite number of directions, right? I mean, so, I kind of so have, have to have start with the art itself. You don't have something deliberate that you feel like you'd rather have seen there? Um, content-wise, no. But I would say, um, I was already, I had already hit i think the emotional peak and i think um tonally it could have been um more perhaps slightly more subtle in that kind of conclusion um uh what else i don't know i'd have to think about it. if there was anything else that was like wrong that i thought like rubbed me the wrong way versus um versus you know versus it just being something that is not a doc that i'm as excited to revisit as others um soon you don't want to watch this again i think i I mean i would watch anything that i give a four or higher again probably um but um i don't think i just you know for comparison i don't think i experienced something quite as profound as i did when i watched camera person which I did give a perfect five, mm-hmm. um, which I think about probably once a week. Um, every time I watch a movie, I feel like I think about that movie. Um, it's your mother. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, you know, like we kind of saved the fives for those films, right? Um, I, I think I might give them out a little bit more heartily than mm, you do. That could be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I don't know that there is anything. Um, wrong but i think scope ambition scale you know all those also contribute to um the ratings for me mm-hmm. um something that is yeah something that is truly truly um reaching for some some kind of unforeseen heights or something like that plays a role otherwise you could do something tremendously small scale and sort of more manageable and do it well um, and then I'd be getting fives, I think, for things that I would forget about more quickly. I think that you could have, um, just to ask myself the same question, I think mm-hmm. that it, he could have ended um, with Kieran having his emotional breakdown in his father's grave. Mm. That would have yep. been just as strong. And I also think that if there was ever a moment where being handed off the camera to the... Um, fellow who has the child who abused his girlfriend who is now married or engaged to the other girl yeah if at any point in time in that filming he ever handed him the camera and then it was bing and kieran skating in a bowl 
yeah that would have been a perfect ending to show both of them moving yeah and show him standing still watching yeah yeah that's kind of the only two thoughts that i that i'd had after i watched it i i was kind of like i i didn't love the ending but i i understood it and i had kind of an idea of what he was going for where i came up with better endings but yeah you know what he made and accomplished as his debut film is an incredible feat and much 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 better than searching oh yeah wait why do you say searching debut films oh gotcha 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 um top documentary of the year Hmm. it's been released this year yes but i have a feeling that you and i might be a little bit of a sucker for pauline kale even if we give it a, a three and a half or a four i could see myself rating it higher than this in my end of the yeah. year just because of what she means as a person yeah and also um i'm pretty partial to that mick and Ro. Um, oh yeah you know breakdown of of the uh physical athlete or artist physical artist you could say yeah what he was doing yeah we won't get into it here but uh is uh won't you be my neighbor anywhere towards the top of the list i can't remember i've seen no, that on there it's around 23 it's kind of a decider okay. of that things that i'm actually it. considering in my top 20 yeah it's a little because i love it it's a lovable film it's the most rewatchable documentary of the year mm. it's a documentary you're going to want to watch with your kids it's yeah. a documentary you're going to want to watch with your grandkids it's a documentary that you want um, being played at, at childcare centers, yeah. it's it's this super broad sweeping documentary that you hope that everyone sees before the Oscars. Yeah, but it's not a serious consideration for a top twenty film. Yeah, twenty three, that's fair. Yeah. Lot left to go, probably not. It's kind of like the Barack Obama yeah. films. You love <laughs> it, right? Like it's it's yeah. immensely respectable is is filled with great character and a great man and and you love it every time you see it and it makes you smile yeah. but there's just some other stuff you like more yeah maybe you want to click on kitten videos maybe you, you want to do yeah. something else you know <laughs> that makes sense um yeah while we're on documentaries like i can't think of that many more coming out in the fall that uh we really need to have on our radar so i I believe there might be a catholic church one coming up that's going to go into the legal processes um and and kind of what they're doing to manipulate ireland Mm, Um, and that will possibly be an interesting pairing with something like first reformed or mary magdalene or or both um yeah and then i i also didn't see the propaganda film that the uh the catholic church put out about pope francis but that'll be Uh, um coming out on digital release soon yeah so that'll be in consideration because he he is a good pope you know (laughs) it's just uh that vatican city country state um superpower of wealth is a very questionable system and um yeah they're you know just actually deplorable yeah (laughs) well yeah in the event that we are dwarfed by features I'm glad that we made the point to do docs just ahead of the fall, just right? The I think fall. this is this yeah. is the right time, just in case the ones that catch our attention are small. Yeah, we so. got features on the list for kind of the next month. I know. Busy. We, yeah. we got The Nun here in a couple of days. We're going to be recording Globalism um, at the end of the week. We're about to go see Infinity War, you for your first time. That's right. Me for my fourth. 
fourth? Fourth? No way. Yep. Holy and smoke. I'm eagerly anticipating seeing it again in IMAX because <laughs> I loved it. It won't be as good as IMAX 3D. That's got to be almost as many characters as there are in the film, right? Uh, not even not close. Really. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to do Madeline's Madeline hopefully by the end of this oh, yeah. month. Um, what else do we have? White Boy Rick. Um, we have Colette. You put that on there, I believe, correct, right? Colette. I think that's on the calendar. Are you talking about uh, Tony Collette? I'll watch a Tony Collette film. I don't know what this is, but I thought I saw this on the calendar. Oh, maybe. Um, there's a new Jeremy Sonye film in a couple weeks. That's uh, Hold the Dark. Going to be dark. released on Netflix for everyone. Yeah. Um, then there's Lizzie, the Lizzie yep. Borden film. Um, but Collette, I'm I'm fascinated. I feel didn't like you I, put that on there? I may have. <laughs> You, you know me. I, I do things and I instantly forget about them. Colette, the 2018 film. I don't know what this oh, is. Oh, yes. But... yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, 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 yes. This is a feature film with Kira Knightley and Dominic West. Oh. Yeah. Yes. I, I thought that this might pair nicely with um, one of Kira's, uh, like, atonement film or... Uh, she, she's got a few period films available she on, does. on Netflix. Or you could finally catch up with Laggies and I can watch... Um, I can do a like different this. one and we can make a cross comparison yeah surprises even on the podcast yes. what we will be discussing <laughs> <laughs> all right well i i think that um we're gonna get back to this brute offline um we went over what we had to talk about this has been doc talk uh any last closing uh statements i don't think so great chat as always yeah. well, great beer as on. always Doc Talk and Drink in the Movies with Michael. And Taylor. Tune in next week where we will be talking about a film that we don't know yet because we'll release this Mm. far, far, far into the release schedule future. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Solid cheers, man. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant.